Good afternoon. Good to see everyone. Um, um, Pastor Micah has given me a text in Titus chapter 3 uh, as, a, uh, as the beginning of a study to, to um, talk about our, um, our homecoming. I think that's why the title is home, uh, Coming Home. And, uh, and so he's going through the Westminster Confession, uh, and this is today pertaining to question 29, uh, what is our effective calling and how does the Holy Spirit, how does Jesus Christ call us to himself? And so uh, we'll try to look at that in Titus chapter 3, uh, verse 3 to 7, right? And uh, so, um, yeah, let me read first of all Titus chapter 3. The text that he gave was Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 7. So I read that. Uh, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that by being, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the, eter- the hope of eternal life. Uh, verse 7, right? Okay, I'll end there. Oh, well, let me go. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are excellent and profitable for people. Let us pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you uh, are here today in, as we look to you, as we uh, hear and sit at your feet to hear your word. Lord, I pray that I will decrease and your word will increase in us and that we would uh, glean and learn as your Holy Spirit does its work today in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, there's a slide, right, that I have? Can you show that? Yep, okay. Ooh, it's blocked a bit. But there is a, a brother in our congregation, some of you know him, uh, Nicholas Lam who came to CDPC, Nicholas and Juliet and the family came to CDPC in 2018 uh, and um, became, you know, came to our, our congregation and he was uh, very much a blessing. He began to serve the family, began to uh, immerse themselves in the congregation and very soon uh, was serving and we went to missions together with Juliet and, and their uh, second son, um, um, Joel. And then in uh, June of 2020, we, well, March of 2020, we had the pandemic and we went to lockdown. But in June of 2020, uh, Nicholas was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Uh, and that was, uh, and that was hard for, for the family, as well as for all of us as we journeyed together with Nicholas. Uh, this is a picture of Nicholas, who, who uh, I had the opportunity last uh, this year, uh, sometime in June, to take him to the hospital for his for his uh, chemotherapy treatment. Uh, it was just an excuse for me, really, to spend some time with him. 
And, uh, and so, but Nicholas being Nicholas uh, said, just take me there and drop me off. And I said, but I can wait for you. It's only 30 minute wait and then take you home. But he said, no, 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 I don't want to disturb you. And so he had another friend come and pick him back. And you know, this is Nicholas. He's a very thoughtful man, uh, very considerate, uh, never wanting to impose himself on anyone. But on my journey there, I had arranged a, a Spotify playlist so that we could, I could encourage him. Uh, I had printed a, some songs. Uh, one of the songs was Almost Home, uh, a song that we have grown to love in our, in our congregation. And he loved it and he began to sing. And both of us, we sang our hearts out in the car as we drove to Beacon Hospital. Uh, and, and then after the five or six playlists in the, in the playlist ended, I asked Nicholas, I said, you know, uh, how are you feeling? How are you encouraged? Are you sad? And he says, Pastor, I'm very at peace. I am very at peace. And I said, that is great. He says, I'm very at peace and very calm. And I said, that's great, Nicholas. Uh, how did you even get here? Why, how, why are you so calm? I mean, you have fought this for two years at that point, and, uh, and it looks like it's a losing battle. Uh, how are you at this stage of calmness? And he says, because I know that Jesus is my anchor. And I know that he had taken this from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We preached on this re, uh, not too long ago. And he says, uh, and this says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And Nicholas is saying that this hope that he has, that is firm and secure, is his anchor. That even though he's going through a situation of uh, walking in the shadow of death, he can truly say that Jesus is his anchor and it's firm and secure. And that this anchor, this, this faith that he has, takes him into the inner sanctuary where he is able to worship Christ and see God himself. This was a statement that gave Nicholas an assurance even right up to the end. And for him, it was a trustworthy statement that brought him through to the end. <clears throat> in our text today, in Titus chapter 3, uh, in verse 8, it says that the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are excellent and profitable for teaching. It is a trustworthy statement. We can bank our hope on this statement. This statement that we are going to look at, this passage of scripture that we're going to look at, is so trustworthy that we can be like Nicholas to put our whole entire life and hope on this statement. That is how trustworthy it is. In, our, in the whole of the New Testament, there are only five times that this is ever mentioned, that this is a trustworthy statement. Something happens uh, when we devote ourselves to faithful sayings, and literally it means faithful sayings in verse, this verse 8. What is this trustworthy statement? What is it that we can bank our hope on that is so trustworthy that Nicholas has found this, that we are to insist, it says in verse 8. Why? So that others may be motivated, that they will devote themselves to the good works. These are good works mentioned in verse 1 and 2, and among other places in, the, in, in Romans and other places. But as we devote ourselves to these trustworthy statements, we are able to do the things that God has called us to do, the, the values that 
of Christian values that God has called us to live. And they are found in, in, in chapter 2, uh, verse, uh, in, in the first part of chapter 2, verse 1 to, to 10. <clears throat> and even in chapter 3, in verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. How are we to live this way that God has called us to live? It says Paul tells Titus to remind the church uh, of Crete to be submissive to civil authority, to be obedient and be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to not slander one another, to show perfect courtesy to one another, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. How are we to live this way? when there are difficult people all around us, isn't it? At church, at our workplaces, in our taman, in our college, there are people that are hard to love, hard to show courtesy to, hard to avoid quarreling. In fact, sometimes we think it is easy, uh, it is easy to speak evil of this person. It is even easy because they deserve it. They are so unreasonable, so hard to live with. And so we know that there are difficult people, people that makes it easy for us to speak evil of. Some people who make a nuisance of themselves, who are so obnoxious that there is no cause to be, uh, to be courteous to them. If anything, we need to put them in their places. Right? And so, but Paul tells Titus, hang on, wait a second. Will, will you remind them? To, uh, 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 will you remind them? He tells them. He says, will you remind them uh, of their former life, of how they used to live, that we were just as bad, if not worse, that this was our former life. And so in verse 3, he goes on to say, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is a, a whole list that Paul's, uh, Paul is telling uh, uh, Titus, remind them, the Cretans, Christians, that this was once their life, that this was how they used to live their lives. They were foolish, not referring to the absence of intellectual capacity, but they were foolish by, because of a moral perversity in their hearts, the choices they make. Uh, for example, corrupt leaders who, who make evil choices uh, in, their, in their governing. We've seen a lot of, of that in, in our country, isn't it? Uh, disobedient. That means having a rebellious spirit, disobeying for the sake of disobeying, doing whatever they please, whatever they think is best for them. Led astray by sinful pleasures of the world. Whatever we feel like doing, we do. So led astray and, and slaves to passions and pleasures, doing what we feel like doing. And then the, the last is malice and hate. Three aspects of malice in criminal law is, number one, an intent to kill. There is bad intention. There is intention to kill. Number two, an intent to inflict grievous bodily injury. And the three, an intent to act in a manner that creates a plain and strong likelihood that death or grievous harm will follow. So always law, the law would always look, was there malicious intent in this, uh, in this accusation or this uh, pro prosecution? Was there malish, malicious intent? And if there is, then you know that the person had... Uh, preconceived plans to cause harm or hurt. 
Where does this desire to cause injury or harm or desire to cause injury come from? Well, it started in Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, went to Cain, manifested in Lamech, who was proud for killing people, for David, who had uh, saw his general get, get killed because he loved his, uh, Bathsheba, his, uh, his wife, and Ahab, king. And, and we have seen throughout the Bible where uh, people do these things, live as they like, disobedient, malicious, evil in every way. Now, if we look at this list here in verse 3 of chapter 3, written for first century Crete, right? It is so relevant even for us today in 21st century Malaysia or USA. The list that was written is true of the people in the first century Crete as it is true for us in 21st century Malaysia. And all it says is that the hearts of people are the same back then and today that they, we are sinful in every way. And, I, and for me, I know that I became a Christian at a very early age, uh, in 1977, in Standard 3, when, when there was a revival at that time in the 70s uh, among uh, the, the youth. And, and I came to Christ at an early age, but I know in my character and in my uh, personality that there are certain habits and certain desires that I know where I would be, where I would be today if it were not for Christ. I would be in dangerous situations, disobeying God and, and totally messed up. And I think you can say the same thing for, you, for yourselves, of those of you who became a Christian at a later age. You, you may have lived a life that was, that was heading a certain way, but then Christ in his love and his redemption came to save you. So this is where we were before God called us to the good news of his salvation. And Paul reminds them of this pre-converted stage, which is a diagnosis of the human sinful condition. This is how we all once lived. What is the cure then? What is the cure for us then? It is the gospel which brought our salvation, which brought our salvation and redemption. This is where we were before God called us. But it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that turned things around. And with regards to, this, to our salvation, Paul reminds the Cretan Christians here in this passage, and we'll look at this, in four points, where they were before, in verse 2, verse two as we saw, where were, where were they before Christ came to them? This is how they lived, the list that I just read. What did God do for their salvation in verse 5a? How did he accomplish it? And why did God accomplish his salvation? Where were they? What did God do? How did he do it? And why did God accomplish his salvation? Okay, we'll look at these uh, four points. We've already looked at where, where they were before, okay, uh, in verse 2. And then in verse, and then the second is, what did God do for their salvation? If we were to look at verse 4, it starts off with a turnaround conjunction. I call this a turnaround conjunction. And we thank God in the New Testament for all the buts, B-U-T. Because it is in the B-U-T that things turn around, that we see Christ redeeming our situation and how Christ comes through for us again and again. It is in the B-U-Ts. But when, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, isn't it great 
that there is a but when the goodness and loving kindness of Christ, our Savior, appeared. The word appeared there is epiphany, which comes from our English word epiphany. Epiphany means appearing, that God himself appeared. Same word used in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God himself, Jesus Christ, came and appeared before us. A moment of great revelation or realization. That's what epiphany is. Here it means Christ. Loving kindness and goodness and grace showed up in our lives. The loving kindness and goodness of Christ showed up in our lives right in our midst of sin, right in our midst of, dis, of, of disobedience and of uh, corrupt living. There was a turnaround in the corruption that we lived in verse 3. How did he do it? What did he do to, to, to us? What did he do? Verse 5 says, he saved us. He saved us. Now, in order to be in that position of being saved, we need to be in a position of, of being in trouble. We need to be in a position of, of, of problem, of trouble, in order for someone to save us, right? Jesus says, uh, the, the well does not need a doctor, it is the sick that needs a doctor. You need to be in a dire strait, a desperate situation to be saved. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 15, that story where there was a sinful woman and there was Simon, we see a person who was in that desperate situation. Sinful woman, a sinful woman had gate-crashed Simon's party, if you remember. Simon the Pharisee, uh, who had entertained Jesus into his home, uh, uh, suddenly a sinful woman had come in and was weeping before Jesus' feet, cleaning his feet with her tears and her hair. And Simon looked scornfully and thought to himself, he didn't even say it, he thought to himself, if only Jesus knew who it was that was washing his feet. Jesus, perceiving that thought, then began to tell him a story. He said, listen, look here, Simon. Now you know you're in trouble when, that, when, you, when Jesus says that. The one, Jesus told him a story about two people, one owing 50 denarii, another one owing 500 denarii. And he says, uh, both are forgiven. Who do you think would be more appreciative? Who do you think would be more thankful? Right? The one who has been forgiven much. The one who could never pay back himself or herself would be very, very thankful, would be very, very grateful for that mercy that was shown to her. And so th that was the sinful woman who, who had been forgiven much who was so grateful that she cried before Jesus' feet. Whereas Simon thought, well, I'm not really not that bad. I really am not that bad. But I, I'm actually quite good because I even hosted Jesus for, for this dinner. <clears throat> and so we see that Simon doesn't really need Jesus. He doesn't really need salvation. He didn't really need to be saved. And Jesus at the end commended the woman because her faith had saved her. She needed a savior, and she knew Jesus was the one who would save her. She saw her depravity and her need for a savior. And so she gave, she responded to Jesus' mercy and loving kindness. How did that happen? Why the sinful woman and not Simon? Why does one respond this way and one respond in, one respond like Simon and one respond in brokenness? 
Why is that so? Is it because of the sinful woman's goodness or sensitivity to Jesus' teaching? What is the reason for that? <clears throat> and that leads us to point number three, how are we saved? How are we saved? And so there are three words here that I want to bring to your attention. Number one, regeneration. Number two, renewal. And number three, justification. Now, these are all words in the Reformed, uh, uh, Reformed uh, um, uh, faith, right? That we uh, would go to these words, regeneration, renewal, and justification. And so you see here that there is one negative and one positive. And so it says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, that's negative, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there are very clear words here. Regeneration and renewal and justification. Not by the good works done by us in righteousness, you see, in our sinful condition, even our good works has a selfish reason. I recall a dialogue once with my, with my um, colleague who believed that his good works would earn his, a good life, both now and for the next. Obviously, he believed in karma. And uh, he was my, he was, uh, my um, colleague, equal in rank, in uh, one of the managers, uh, and he believed in karma. And so I asked him, uh, what motive do you do good then? What, what is your motive of doing good, of a personal desire to get uh, good karma and perhaps being reincarnated to a better life, a better form of life? So I said, you are essentially doing good for your own good. It's not for the person you're doing good to, right? And so even your best intention has a selfish desire, right? And so... The truth is, as the Bible says, even our good works are as filthy rags. And that is why no matter how good we try, because of our sinful nature, to God, to a holy God, it would be found sinful. So how did he save us then? How is God, Jesus Christ, going to save us? It says, according to his mercy, the Holy Spirit did a work in us. It says here that he saved us not because of the works done in righteousness, but according to to his own mercy and by the rewashing and regeneration of renew and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's all this? Let me unpack this. Um, washing of regeneration and renewal. You see, the word regeneration only appears here in the New, in the, in the New Testament. Right? The word regeneration is uh, pelagenesia, okay? uh, which literally means again birth again birth, born again. Uh, so it's, it's, the word is only mentioned here, but the concept you would recognize in John chapter 3, verse 7, when Jesus had the conversation with Nicodemus, right? Where he says, Very truly I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Not of flesh and blood, blood but of the Spirit. And so God caused something to happen in our hearts for us to respond to Him. Simon, rejected the gospel, the sinful woman in Luke 7 broke down and responded in brokenness towards Jesus. How or why? You see, the Bible calls this his effectual calling. God calls 
And when he calls, he, the Holy Spirit does something in our hearts that turn our hearts to him. And this is best seen in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, where he says, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, he doesn't say that those whom he predestined, he called. And all out of all those he called, there are some that was justified. And those whom he justified, some were glorified. No, in fact, it says those whom he called, all those whom he called, he justified. And all those whom he justified, he also glorified. All those whom he got predestined, he called. The Holy Spirit has started the work of regeneration in all those whom he has called. So that all those he has called may be justified. And all those whom he justified will be glorified. Not one of those he has predestined, not one of those he has called and justified will be lost. That is the great comfort we have as Christians today. That all those whom he has called, each one of you who he has called, will be glorified, will be with him in eternity. That is the comfort we have in Christ Jesus. And that is the anchor that is talked about in Hebrews chapter 6 that our brother Nicholas hung on to. And that is the trustworthy statement that Paul is telling Titus here that not one who is called will be lost. The work of regeneration or again born happens through the Holy Spirit, bringing an instantaneous and radical change in our hearts. We are again born in the Spirit and the Spirit of God indwells the person whom He has called such that this person responds to the gospel of grace. <clears throat> you see, left to ourselves, left to ourselves, without the work of regeneration of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, without the effectual calling of God in our sinful hearts, we will not respond in humble submission. That is the truth. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit's work in our lives of convicting us of our sin and brokenness, we will be like Simon the Pharisee. We will not respond in humility. This is where we get the idea of born-again Christian. The invitation is not to the Ten Commandments or to the denomination, to a religious experience, but rather have you been to Jesus at the cross? Have you been again born? Have you been born again to this new life? Has the, work, has the Holy Spirit called you and done this work in your heart? We know this work of regeneration has happened when we begin to see the fruit from it. Three months, maybe six months, maybe after a year, you begin to have a longing in your heart, a desire to know God and His grace. You come to church, you listen to the sermons and you say, you begin to take interest in the Word of God. Paul calls this a washing of regeneration. It is like a total flushing of your entire being, bringing about an instantaneous and radical change towards the direction of your Savior. You make a, a turnaround, but now, that kind of turnaround conjunction, 
This is what happens when the Holy Spirit ignites our spirit to hunger and thirst after Him. <clears throat> I recall a brother in our, in our congregation, and he won't mind me sharing this, he's a great brother, just got saved last year, Rohit, a brother who had struggled with uh, substance addiction, but, and, and then he got over it himself. He got help, he got over it, he came to our congregation, well, he became, uh, he didn't become a Christian, he, he came to us, he wasn't a Christian, uh, but you see, the Holy Spirit had begun to do a work in him. When he heard the word of God, when he went through uh, what we do, a, 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 a book study on uh, counterfeit God and then prodigal God, and he began to see who he really was, everything made sense. Everything fell into place. He, be, he wanted to see me one Saturday. He said, I want to become a Christian. I led him in a sinner's prayer. He became a Christian. He, you see, something happened. And what he told me was this. He said, I, I had never found peace. I think this is it, he says. I have come home. His very words is this, I have come home. I think he knew, and, and everyone knows, because, because the Holy Spirit was working in his heart and was causing the work of regeneration, the renewal by the Holy Spirit. And he, and he, became, and, and he became a Christian. He became a Christian not at the point of saying his sinner's prayer. Let me just make this clear. He made a public con a physical confession, but when the Holy Spirit had already begun the work of regeneration, his, his faith, his heart was beginning to turn around. And so then there began a renewal of the Holy Spirit, or what we call sanctification. Uh, Burkhoff in his systematic theology says this, and let me quote, right? Burkhoff says it the best, and so let me just quote this to make it clear. Is that gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which he delivers the justified sinner from the pollution of sin and renews his whole nature in the image of God and enables him to perform good works. Only the work of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit brings a person to Christ, that work of regeneration, the work of, re, of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Christ, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is instantaneous. Renewal or sanctification is a continuous process. Okay? So whereas before, uh, perhaps Mikey had anger issues, he would go in a rage and his wife and kids did not know how to deal with him. But after the work of regeneration, he was again born. Then the work of renewal began to happen. He studied the Bible, he came to worship service, he listened to the sermon, he met with his new family in care groups. Uh, they prayed for him. His experience of love, he experienced love and grace in this community. He began to feel less angry and his rage began to diminish. Began less and less. His wife and people around him began to notice, hey, something is wrong. Something is right, actually, with this person. His life is beginning to change. Why? You've seen that, haven't you? In people who have become Christians, you may even have seen it in your own life. The person becomes an entirely new person. You see, you and I, and this, and Mikey, and all these people, is experiencing a renewal work in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is renewing us so that we will not, so that we will be ready when Christ returns for His people. This washing of regeneration and renewal 
which happens through the lavish outpouring of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. The third word is justification. Justification. <clears throat> and in verse 7, so in verse 6, he says, Whom he poured out the Holy Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So why? Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So that we can become heirs, so that we can uh, have become heirs of the hope of eternal life. That anchor that we have in eternal life with Christ forever. Now this justification is as opposed to condemnation. It implies deliverance from the curse of the law in Galatians 3. Justification brings peace in our life in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is that act of God, the Father, whereby He counts our sins to be Christ's and Christ's righteousness to be ours. That is the great exchange where Jesus takes our sin and gives us His righteousness. I don't know about you, um, I, I, I try not to share political stories, but this one is really a story. If you look at the video, it is uh, of, it's really a story of, uh, of justification. And, I, and I, I say this with a bit of caution because I don't want people to think I'm a support, uh, supporter of Harappan, but, but those of you who have actually seen this video of Anwar Ibrahim being pardoned by the prison God, I don't know if you all see, you can go back and Google this. But there's a, the, there was one Aziza and Anwar, and then the prison, uh, uh, head of prison, the prison director, <coughs> reads out his pardon. And the prison director read out his pardon uh, that was given by the young Nipatuan Agong. Okay, and so, and I quote, this is what it says, in, in, I translated in English. Lah. Quote, it is to declare that Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim is given full pardon and is considered as someone who did not commit any offence and is to be released immediately. As such, there is no management of documents because you did not commit any offence. This is the instructions from the young Dipatuan Agong. At that moment when, she said, when he said, it is as if you did not commit any offence, Katwan, broke down, covered the face, broke down in tears. Because it is, that is justification in, in, in good example. Uh, it is considered that you did not commit any offense. Jesus took your sin and clothed you with righteousness. And in Jesus' eyes, it's as if you did not commit any offense. That is how amazing this gospel of grace is to us. It may have been true for Anwar Ibrahim, but unfortunately for us, Titus chapter 3 verse 3 gave us a full list of our guilty charges and guilty as charged. And verse 4 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. How? By the work of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which He graciously poured out richly to us, the Holy Spirit poured out to us, so that now we are justified by His grace. 
justified by His grace, like as if we have never sinned in our lives. So when God looks at us, He looks at us like we have never sinned. Is it that we paid for our sin, or that God just simply wiped out our sin, like He closed His eyes to sin? No. It was paid. It was paid dearly and it cost dearly. But Jesus Christ had paid it for us by becoming man and dying for us on the cross. <clears throat> and so we had become heirs according to the hope of eternal life with Christ. This is the glorification of our bodies at the end of the age, that we will be with Christ in eternity. It is here that the entire process of salvation, starting from the work of regeneration to renewal, to justification, and finally to glorification would be complete. So this few verses here, this text here is really a picture of our whole salvation process for us. It is a beautiful passage of scripture. It is, uh, it is what we can anchor ourselves on. It is what Paul calls uh, a trustworthy statement. The Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began a good work in you shall bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Whom he foreknew, he called, whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. Not one shall of his sheep, not one of his sheep shall be lost. And this is the great comfort that we have as Christians. That the work that he began in you, he shall bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope we have in Christ Jesus. This is the hope that my brother Nicholas Lum, fighting cancer, knowing face to face with death, hung on to because God had predestined him to come. He came because of God's mercy, not because of his righteousness or his goodness. His heart regenerated and renewed. And when Christ shall return, he will be glorified. And so in closing, Let me answer this question because I think Pastor Michael would want me to anchor this down onto our Westminster Confession in question number 29. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? How are we made partakers, that means fellow or heirs or fellow heirs, partakers of this redemption that is purchased by Jesus Christ? Answer, we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual calling, or sorry, by the effectual application of it to us through His Holy Spirit, by His Holy Spirit, right? This redemption that was purchased by Christ is ours by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not by our goodness, not by our good works. Question 29 asks, how are we uh, made to take part in the redemption of Christ bought? And answers that we take part in the redemption Christ bought when the Holy Spirit effectively applies it to your life and to my life. Do you see anything that we have done in this process of redemption? Have we done anything good in this process? Well, we just show up. We show up, we take part in it because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so I don't know about you going through whatever you're going through at this moment of your life, whatever you're struggling with, for some of us, suffering and pain, like my brother Nicholas, going through an illness, or someone you know that is going through an illness, 
I had just received a very sad news of a, of a, of a uh, schoolmate of mine, uh, her daughter, her 22-year-old um, daughter had just committed suicide, suffering from um, mental uh, depression for many, many years, and finally took her life. Uh, perhaps a broken relationship, broken marriage, a difficult uh, relationship with your son or with your spouse, um, the truth is that we live in, a, in a, a, a world that's filled with glass, sharp, broken glass. Uh, in, in our uh, academy in, in Subang, we're going through a faith at work series. We call it Parang and Lalang. <laughs> Just knowing that our work is in the midst of weeds and thorns and thistles, uh, Lalang in the midst of that, and, and we are trying to do work in the midst of that. A struggle at work with your boss, perhaps making your life miserable. Suffering because of your faith, like First uh, Peter. I want you to be assured of God's salvation for you. That you will never lose your salvation in Christ. That God has a whole hand, you are in His hand. And that is such assurance and comfort. His redemption process of you began when He regenerated your heart. And He will bring you to the end of glorification in eternity. I know I struggled with this. I, I was, when, when I was in college, uh, I was from the faith that believed that I could actually lose my salvation, that it depended on me. And then when I was in college, there was a, a friend, a very close brother in our, in our campus ministry that uh, had manic depression and he committed suicide. I was in such a, a flurry. I was just in, so confused. I didn't know what to think. Um, that a dear brother had, uh, was going to hell, that he's lost his salvation um, because he was struggling through with manic depression. I went through with the pastors, they assured me, they went through verses showing me the assurance of salvation. The, the, the work of regeneration that happens, not because of our good works or our, our contribution, but only because of his goodness and loving kindness. You see, when all else is shaky around us, when the world trembles, your faith in Christ should not. Because God holds you firm in His hand. He, he foreknew you before. He then began this work of regeneration. He called you so you will respond to His effectual calling. So that all whom He has called, He will faithfully bring home to the end. He then began the work of renewal in your hearts to make you more and more like Christ. And finally, He justified us for the day of His return. He will keep you because He loves you. This is how we know that Jesus Christ loves us, because He will never let us go. He says that in Romans 8, that His love is there for us, and He will never, never leave us, nor forsake us. He will present you ready on that day as a glorious bride. Not one of you, not one of me, no one of us shall be lost. And that is our hope in the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. As we close at that song I, I requested, because it, there's a verse in there that says this, O oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
Let the people rejoice. Come to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. Let us pray. Our Father, we take heart in this truth that whom you have called and whom you have called, you will sanctify. And whom you sanctify, you will justify and you will glorify in the end. And so this is our hope, Lord, as we come that, Lord, that you are faithful to keep us to the end. We are thankful that you have shown us this gospel of grace, not because of our goodness, not because of our smartness or the works done by us in righteousness, but according to your mercy, that you have caused this work of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So we, are, we give thanks. We are grateful. We are thankful for the gospel of grace. We are eternally grateful for what you have done for us and given us today. Lord, I think this removes all the pride from us to ever think that we have, we have any part to play in this redemption story. But only by your grace have you called us in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.